Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many in the house know God's grace is enough? Give God some praise in this place for his amazing grace. Amen. 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 What a God we serve. Amen. Uh, today is, it's been rumored it's a, it's a day all about love. Is that right? Amen. And if uh, we're going to celebrate love, wouldn't it be most appropriate to be in the house of God, amen, for what God has done for us? Let's give God some praise for sending his son, amen, who loved us so much that he died and endured the shame of the cross, amen. Um, um, I have, we're going we're gonna to read 17 verses today, uh, but with the time that we're allowed for worship, we won't be able to cover all 17 of those verses. Uh, and so we're going to do part two next week. God has fixed it in such that we're going to do part two. And so family day is, is next week. Um, so if you want to um, get the second part of this message, and I will say it's a dynamic message. I, I'll say that in God's name. Um, you want to get here in the early service so you can get the conclusion of today's message. It is a very powerful, powerful word. And uh, let us uh, give a crossroads welcome to any visitors that might be in the house this morning. We're glad to hear. Let's let them know that. We love you and appreciate you. And glad you stopped by for a few minutes on Valentine's Day. We appreciate that. Um, let us go to the throne of grace. Father God, we um, are just so thankful that you thought enough of us this morning to Touch us with your finger of love and woke us up from our sleep and slumber. And when we woke up this morning, we were still clothed in our right mind, still had the right use of our limbs, and had a regional portion of health. And Father, we thank you for feeding us and clothing us and directing our steps uh, all week long. You have covered us. You have uh, been so gracious and so kind and so loving. And we say thank you. Uh, Father, we are so thankful. Uh, for all of these uh, children of yours who have come out this morning just to hear a word from the Lord. Father, I pray that you would give them uh, a receiving heart and listening ears that they might be able to receive uh, something from you this morning, oh God. We love you with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and we can't say it enough. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, oh my Lord, my strength and redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. There is a word from the Lord this morning. It is found in the 51st Psalm. Uh, it didn't dawn on me last week that, that Pastor Eddie had been literally preaching out of the book of Psalms. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring a message out of Psalms too. So this, that is how the Spirit of the Lord works. And so we're going to be dealing with this morning uh, the 51st Psalm, working with verses 1 through 17. And it reads, Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin, wash me from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgments against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment of my mother's womb conceived me. 
But you desire honestly, honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You broke, you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep me, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove my stain of guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to my joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to the rebellious and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who say that I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I might, my mouth might, may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice or I would offer you one. You do not want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken heart and a repentant spirit, O God. The sacrifice that God's desire is the broken in spirit. And David reminds us that when we come to the Lord in our brokenness, and in the mindset of repentance, that God will not reject you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repented heart, O God. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the subject, broken is beautiful. Broken is beautiful. The Bible has a lot of people in it that are broken. And we're going to examine one today in King David. David repents for his sin in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah in this 51st Psalm. In our world today, broken things are despised and thrown out. Anything we no longer need, we throw away. Damaged goods are rejected. That includes people in marriages, when relationships break down, the tendency is to walk away and find someone new rather than work on reconciliation. The world we live in today is full of broken hearts, broken spirits, and broken relationships. The Bible says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's Psalms in the 34th chapter, the 18th verse. There is something about us. When we reach the breaking point of our lives, we have the tendency to seek God more sincerely. King David was once broken, and he prayed in his brokenness out to God. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. He said, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And he said, oh God, I know this about you. You will not despise. See, God provides compensation for our broken spirit. A compensation defined by Webster is this. To provide something good as a balance against something bad or undesirable to make up for some defect or weakness. And all I could see was Jesus in that definition. God says this in the Bible, I live high and holy, 
but I also live with him who is of a contrite and lowly in spirit. you find that in Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah also says that my servant will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but watch this, but you will cry out from the anguish and wail in a brokenness of spirit. Amen. Bless Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's the cast of my soldiers came in. Bless their hearts. Amen. Thank you all. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good surprise. Um, a handmade object, like a bowl, is reverence for its beauty and the care that it took to make it. In its purpose, when it is being utilized for what it was created to do, it is held in higher God and esteem. How many of you know that we were wonderfully and fabulously made? But somehow in our humanity, we have lost our purpose. When a, a bowl is broken, it is demoted and it loses its honor. When an object is demoted and loses its honor, when it is repaired, it can be restored and raised to a new level and height of appreciation. People have said in this modern culture in which we live in, when things are broken, we throw it away, and it's responsible for our, diverse, our divorce rates and the piles of trash that fill our landfills. Because when things are broken, we simply throw them away. These days, we would consider, would you even consider that a ceramic bowl that had been broken worth repairing? Let alone considering that it might be more beautiful after it's been repaired. Probably not. But in ancient Japan, when a bowl was broken, they sent it out and had it fixed. Legend has it that a Japanese shogun was so unimpressed with the repair that was done on a bowl that he had sent out to be fixed that he hired some Japanese craftsmen to find a more beautiful method of mending ceramics. And so they developed a technique called kintsushi, in which the broken pottery was literally mended together with gold dust. And rather than trying to hide its flaws of, of the broken ceramic, they would highlight them in gold, barring the cracks and the scars and adopting them as a piece of the ceramic. The technique became so popular that people began to intentionally smash bowls and plates in order to have them mended. The ceramic mended by Kim Sushi actually became more valuable after they had been repaired. It was considered more beautiful uh, than it was, even though it was broken. The Kim, Kim Sushi craftsmen were very skilled, and, most, and the most celebrated of them had the ability to repair the most destroyed pieces of pottery. In our culture of throwaway, our churches, our communities are filled with broken people hiding their scars and shame. The church is not a safe place for us to show our raggedy edges and to search for healing. So metaphorically, we just superglue ourselves back together again, hoping no one notices our growing cracks. 
in our throwaway churches. Our churches are filled with people who are broken, who hide their scars in shame. But watch this. But we say we believe in a God who is strong amid our weaknesses. We say that we believe in a God who makes us a new creation. We say we believe in a God who is a God of repair, restoration, and redemption. What kind of witness do we have? If we say we believe in God's healing power, but we are, we are ashamed to show how God has healed us. Our God has filled in the cracks of our broken lives and put the pieces back together and with something more beautiful than gold. In order to show the world that we believe in a God who fixes the broken things, we ought to bear the scars in our lives as art. The Kim C. Craftsman, I, I tell you all the time, Crossroad, clap your hands if you want to, say amen, stomp your feet, it's all good in Jesus' name. But Kim Sushi craftsmen had another purpose in their craft. When they repaired a ceramic that came in from all over the world, a Chinese bowl or a Korean plate, after they mended the cracks together with gold, the pottery was no longer even considered Japanese or Korean or Chinese. Once the bowl had been mended by Kim Sushi, it was forever considered Japanese. I'm going somewhere. The repairman had left a mark on the pottery so distinct that it was no longer recognized where it had come from, but who had made the repair. Isn't that just like us when we come to God in our brokenness from all walks of life that God begins to put back the pieces of our broken lives by the Holy Spirit, and we are no longer identified by our brokenness, but our new life in Christ? Our walk and our testimony gets raised to even greater heights. David, in this 51st Psalm, appends a psalm on a very particular occasion of sin. And it holds a general purpose and use for us today, right now. David's psalm is one of the most poignant, a pinnacle prayer, a psalms in the Bible. It expresses a heart of a repenting sinner. There is no better words in the Bible that are pinned in this psalm that is records. David's repentance in the, in the matter of Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. Uh, that sin became uh, the greatest blemish upon David's character. And so in this 51st Psalm, David confesses his sin. He prays earnestly for the pardon of his sin. He prays for a peace of his conscience, for grace to go and sin no more, for liberty to have access to God. And he promises that uh, once God restores him, that he would do what he could for other souls. And he said that he might glorify God. Those whose conscience charged them with gross sin should, if they believe in a regenerated heart, should regard Jesus as the mediator, the go-between us and God, pleading our case over and over again. 
pray over this song. Though you may not be guilty of adultery or murder or, or any like sin, yet praying over this song, we may reasonably apply it to ourselves. And we should consider that when we accept Christ and we go through him as our mediator, we will find mercy and pardon and grace because our God is an ever-present help. In this psalm, David speaks to a very sad time in his life when he was broken and he had failed. And although David had fallen, and he was utterly cast down, and he was broken because of the sins that he had committed, and he was finding it difficult to get up every day and to go through his life and not allow those sins to ever be before him. He's before God, and he's broken, and he's tired. And so he cries out to God. And you know what God did? Bless his name. He reaches down and he graciously upholds him and raises him up. The sins which David laments about in this psalm was the wickedness he committed with his neighbor's wife. This sin of David records is a warning for all of us who make a practice of sin. Repentance in the psalm David expresses was brought to him by a minister. And his name was Nathan. God had sent Nathan to see David and convict him of his sins. Even though David had been practicing this sin for nine months with no particular feeling of regret. In this psalm, David expresses uh, his feelings, even though he had already been pardoned of his sin. See, watch this. God may allow his people to fall into sin and lie there for a great while. But by some means... If we cry out to him for repentance, he will recover us and bring us back to ourselves and our right mind. And he uses, watch this y'all, the ministry of his word to reach those who have been overtaken in a fault. David here in the Psalms, he's cried out to God and says to God, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, would you do me a favor, Father? Could you blot out the stains of my sins? See, David cries out in his brokenness for two of God's greatest attributes, his mercy and his compassion. Where would we be without the mercy of God? David is literally saying, I trust God's justice. So I cast myself upon his mercy. This thing I am certain about. The best of us would be undone if God is not merciful to us. In his plea for God's mercy, he says nothing about that his descendants will give birth 
to the tribe of Judah. In his plea, it's not in the text. You won't find it there. He doesn't talk about his public service as Israel's champion. He doesn't talk about in his repentant prayer uh, that he's the king of Israel. He even promised, David did, that he would build a place for the Ark of the Covenant. But in his plea to God, he makes no mention of none of that. He says, God, I just want you to remember me in my sins and my afflictions. True repentance will make no mention of the things that we have achieved in this world. We merely cry out to God for mercy, for mercy's sake. See, we have nothing to bargain with except ourselves and our commitment to God. The pardon of sin is to be blotted. David wants to be blotted out his transgressions. See, when a debt is blotted out and crossed out of a book, the debtor has either been the debt has either been paid or the creditor remitted it. He wiped it out. Can I tell you? That's what the blood of Jesus did for us. When it was shed up on our conscience, it purifies us. It blots out our transgressions and it reconciles us back to God. Those who truly repent of their sins will not be ashamed to own their repentance. See, David doesn't offer up a balance of evil deeds and good deeds. All he wanted God to do was to atone for his sins. And our God, bless his name, is infinite in mercy. And all we've got to do is depend upon him to provide the peace and the mercy we're asking for. See, David, being convicted of his sins, pours out his heart to God in prayer for mercy and for grace. From whom should the backslider return to? It's the Lord our God in which we backslidden in the first place. It is God who can heal the backslider. So David draws up on divine inspiration the working of his heart toward God, and he professes and owns his repentance. Watch this, y'all. In verse 2, he says, Wash me from my guilt. Cleanse me from my sins. Purify me from my sins. See, Nathan had already gone to David and assured him that God had heard of his repentance and forgiven him. I'm in the Bible. I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan's reply was, yes, we know that. But the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. See, Dave, God had forgiven David, but David couldn't forgive himself. See, he, he, he didn't see, unfortunately, he couldn't see the value of God's grace. I love it, Sister Shouts, when, when we get to talking about prayer or sin, how heads go down, and, and you don't get a lot of support because we don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. We only want to deal with a feel-good gospel. But see, David said, feel-good ain't good enough. He said, I need to get before the Lord, and I need to seek his face. And see, even though God had promised to pardon David's sin, uh, the, David still had to seek the Lord. 
See, even though we've been forgiven and, and, and our sins have been washed whiter than snow, we still have to go before the Lord so that we can be sure that it is cleared up in our minds and our hearts what God has done for us by sending his son into the world. See, David says, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. See, David had a deep sense of what he had done. He had a lot of sorrow and a lot of shame. His contrition for his sins was not because it was a slight, momentary, abiding grief. David said that my sins are ever before me to humble me. But see, he was free to own his guilt before God. He acknowledges his transgressions. He found that that was literally the only way he could ease his conscience. See, David was a great man. And having sinned, he submits himself to the discipline of God. Watch this in verse 4. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will provide or prove to be right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. When we hear David's words here, we're reminded of the prodigal who comes home and says to his father, I have sinned against heaven. He, he confessed his actual transgression. He thought nothing about his royal dignity to excuse him from it. From it. The rich and the poor will suffer under one law of repentance for both. The greatest among us will be judged same as the poor. He confesses to his sin in particular. He says, I have done this evil. It is good for us when we are confessing our sins to God to express the exact sin we want to be pardoned from. We have to be comfortable in coming before God. We ought to reflect upon the particular act of sin in those circumstances of our gross sin. When we despise God's commandment, we are being disobedient to his promises. We distrust him. We dishonor his name when we try to deceitfully dismiss our sins. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. David, in his deep contrition of his soul for his sins, is standing on right ground because he has sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and against his own soul, his body, his family, his kingdom, and against the church of God. And the church of God can help those who are in trouble. None of these sins were directly directed toward God, but they were committed in his sight. These sins were upon David, and, they, and he was responsible for them. He said, I'm exceedingly sinful. This, great, this greatly humbled him, and it should humble us. That when we go before God in, in, in repentance of our sin, that they are done under the eyes of God. He says, for I have sinned, yes, from my mother's womb, from, from the moment my mother conceived me. He confesses literally the origin of sin. But see, he don't blame God for his sin because in another place in Psalm, he says this. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works, God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret place. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, my soul knows it well. So he's not blaming God for his sins. He said, even though I was shaped in iniquity and sin was twisted up in me, in me that was not your fault, God. See, he, he, his sin, he acknowledges, comes through his parents' loins. He was conceived in sin. And though his mother, by grace, was a child of God, by nature she was the daughter of Eve. And you know that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that it brought sin into the world, and anybody born into the world was then born into sin. That's why we call that our original sin, our original transgression was through Eve. So he acknowledges the origins of his sin, but he doesn't blame God for his sinfulness. See, David blame, lays no blame upon God. Watch this in verse 6. He says, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom ever there. David acknowledges the grace of God and his works in us. So that we are not hidden from him. God makes us know his wisdom. True wisdom will go far toward making a man good and clear-headed and to have a sound heart. But to speak to a man, we need to understand the only way that we're made perfect is in him. What God requires of us is he allowed him to work through us in regular ways so that he can enlighten our minds and we can be gaining the will of God. So how is it that David is cleared of his wrongdoing? Watch what David says to the Lord. He says, God, hereby justify and I'm cleared by you. But David confessed, not thee, but I alone must bear it. For thou hast many times admonished me to be sincere before you, and hast made me known that which is right. If I had fully considered it, it would have prevented me from falling into my sins in the first place. If I had just relied on you and the improving grace that thou hast given me, maybe I would have kept my credibility and integrity. See, David says in this psalm in verse 17, the sacrifice that God desire is a broken spirit. And we have the promise in the scriptures that when we come before God and we are honest in admitting our shortcomings and failures before him, we are promised that he will not reject us, he won't turn us away, he won't forsake us, but he will come and address our very need to us, the broken things are despised as worthless. Ah, uh, but God, say but God, can take what has been broken and remake it into something better. Something that he can use for his glory. Oftentimes things that are broken because they are broken people. And broken people are oftentimes a, re a result of sin. Yet God sent his son 
who was without sin to be broken that we might be healed. On the night before Jesus was to die, he had taken the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he went all the way to Calvary to die so that we might live. His death has made it possible for broken, sinful humanity to be reconciled back to God and be healed. Without the broken body of Jesus, we could not be made whole. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. His punishment brought us peace because it was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Only when we surrender to Christ as I close, only when we surrender to Christ can we be restored and transformed. But such surrender requires of brokenness on our part. The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, from whom the joy set before him endured the cross, disgorging and its shame, and set down at the right hand of the Father. Run that take that video for me, Larry. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Because of our sins, we must come to the throne of grace. And we must ask and confess our sins to God and thank him for his grace. See, David found out something. He found out that his riches, his fame, and his position could do nothing to ease his guilt and his pain. He had all of the resources, all of the wealth, and all of the power, and could do nothing to fix his sin or his guilt. And so David... cries out before the Lord. See, y'all, it's only when we submit ourselves to him that we can be made whole. We don't have the power to fix ourselves and our situation. That's why you're still struggling. See, God loves us so much. I love him. He loves us so much. He said, Jeff, I know you messed up. I know, like my word says, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But he said, I can make it right. I got the solution for you. I'm going to send my son. And guess what he's going to do for you, Jeff? 
serve upon himself. And so he hung on that cross from the third to the ninth hour. For me. He bled and he died. And when he had accomplished all that God had put in his hands to do, he dropped his head in the locks of his shoulders. And he said to God, it's finished. Jeff's going to be okay now. And how many of you know, <laughs> as much as I like to think so, you didn't just do that for me, Sad. He did it for you, man. Stephanie, he didn't just do it for me. He did it for you. My brother Logan, he died for you, man. Yeah. He died to set us free. And we're free to own it. Own our repentance. And he's promised not to cast us out. So the door of the church opens. As the band plays and sings. You don't have to leave here the way you came. You can drop the surrender.